So, put your seatbelts on because we got a long way to go. This is normally an eight-hour seminar, and Rick and I are going to do it in an hour. Right, Rick? <laughs> Y'all be praying for Rick. He has a scheme working in his life. The Steelers didn't make the playoffs. I know you Chicago fans feel bad about that. You find it unbearable. Oh. <laughs> Roll tide. Okay. Tonight we're talking about something uh, called the schemes of the enemy. And so we want to educate you with some scripture about how to deal with strongholds. I want to give you an illustration. This last Sunday, a couple in our church, I've known them. I did their wedding, it seems like 80 years ago, but 10 or 15 years ago, he had cancer in the breastbone. And he had a really good chance of dying, and he survived that cancer. He's a fireman and an amazing stuff. His wife walked up to me last Sunday with her 10-year-old son who has a big dark spot in the exact same place his father had cancer. Now, what do you think that does to her? Come on, what's it do? Incredible fear, right? But when it happened, the Lord just spoke to me, and he said to me, he's not sick. He's going to be okay. And so I began to pray over him, and what I realized was, there's this thing that I call a familiar spirit <laughs> that gets passed down in families. They can be generational, ancestral, they're in the bloodline. This stuff gets passed down in our families and stuff. And uh, this familiar spirit was trying to manifest itself in this young man. And we took authority over it, and he went to the doctor this week, and there's nothing wrong with him. But listen, the scripture says, the scripture says, what you fear can come upon you. And so fear is a scheme of the enemy. All right, I'm 63 and looking good, right? My dad died at 62. Lurking in the back of my mind for the entire year before I turned 63 is, was I going to make it past 62? Now that does not make any rational sense. But it's a fear. And so, scripturally speaking, please take some notes as we go through this this evening. A lot of this is in the book out there. They're $10 or two for 50 It's for missions. Dick, isn't that the way it works? It's good math. Amen. If you want it signed, it's 75. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we said it last night. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Somebody say entirely. Now in the South, we say that means all y'all. Spirit, soul, and body. The Lord wants you to be complete. And he who began that good work... It's going to bring it to pass. So it is the will of God that you be made whole. When you get saved, you get born again. You're born of the Spirit, and your spirit is saved. When the resurrection comes at the second coming, you're going to get a new body. Anybody want a new body? I'm going to be 7-2. I'm going to dunk on Rick. It's going to be wonderful. I played basketball with Rick one time, and he towered over me and looked down on me with pity. Go ahead and smile. You may or may not get the mic tonight. <laughs> but get this in your mind. The battle's in your soul. It's in your mind. It's in your emotions. It's in the bad decisions that we make. Is it true? And so the warfare that goes on in your life is in your soul. 
I get asked the question all the time, can Christians be possessed? No. Possessed implies ownership. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are owned by God. Can a believer have a stronghold in their life? Yes. Rick, come here a second. What is a stronghold? It's when some area of your life, the enemy's got an attachment. And if Rick struggled with fear, you know his testimony. He went through this entire thing with his back and fear assailed him. Unable to walk for some months. He went through hell and back. And so fear could try to grab a hold of him and hold him. Now it affects him, but it is not possessing him. Do you feel better now? That's good. 1 John 3, 8, the one who practices sin. How many of y'all got to practice sin? Is anybody good at it? Come on, get your hand up. (laughs) It is of the devil. The devil sinned from the beginning. The son of God for the purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. Anything in you that's not of God, the Holy Spirit's out to get rid of it. The scripture teaches without sanctification, no one's going to see the Lord. The Lord is out to make you holy. He's going to make you holy. He's going to make you whole. Luke 4, 18, you know, well, the spirit of the Lord is on me. What for? This is our job description. He anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. Do we do that? Come on. Proclaim release to captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Set free those that are brokenhearted or downtrodden and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what Jesus did. That's what his entire ministry was. It's not a guessing game about what goes on. Now, when we talk about schemes, you find them listed in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Now, I told you last night, my scheme... And my life is Rick. And I'm his scheme. But a scheme is found in, in, in Ephesians here. It says this. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People are not the issue. Say it with me. People are not the issue. But against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And so the scripture talks about the scheme. And in that chapter, if we had time to read it, it talks about the armor of God and putting on the armor of God. You all have been taught that, I'm sure, right? And one day I read this and the Lord said, what good does it do to put on the armor outwardly when you have a scheme working inwardly? You're all dressed up and nowhere to go. And so a scheme, by definition, is a hidden plan or plot for somebody's destruction. And it begins early in our lives. There's a girl in our church. She was engaged. They were going to get married. So we started premarital. Now, you know what? When I was engaged... It would take me four hours to tell my fiance good night. Anybody ever been there? Can you remember that far back, Dick? So I said to this young lady, I said, I bet you just really love him. She said, I don't know. 
I said, what do you mean you don't know? She said, well, I don't feel anything. I'm going to get married because he's a godly guy. I really like him. I'm thinking, you know, you can be married for a, a week and light goes away. <laughs> I said, you know what? This engagement is off until we find out what's wrong. And here's what happened. We began to research, began to dig around. Her mother was in college, and she got pregnant. And the girl I'm dealing with, her name is Brittany, does not know she has an older sister. Her mother decided when the older sister was born, when she was single and she got married, pregnant out of wedlock, that she's going to give that baby up for adoption. And so she made a choice to not become emotionally attached to that child. So when that child was born, she distanced herself. Years later, she gets married to the same man she got pregnant from the first time. And she gets pregnant. She has Brittany. She could not emotionally relate to that child for years. And we began to realize what happened. And so we went back, and, and she repented to Brittany and, and worked through this whole process. And the minute there came some healing, Brittany's feelings began to come alive. Her soul became came alive, they got a phone call from a girl in Indiana who was the older sister that was given up for adoption. She was 19 and looking for her birth mother. On Mother's Day, she surprised the entire family and showed up in church and met her sisters and her siblings. Brittany was totally healed, totally restored. But it began at birth. There's a pastor I know. He's a retired U, I mean, uh, Air Force colonel. Great authority. No fear in this man except fear of death. And it didn't make any sense why he had such a fear of death. And so we prayed and we researched. And what we found is when he was born, he was a blue baby. And they thought he was dead. And they laid him over on the side because the mother was bleeding out. And they took care of the mother. And they thought he was dead. And they pronounced him as dead and then they realized he wasn't and so he struggled with the fear of death from the very beginning days of his life so schemes begin very very early in a person's life they're like a thread weaving its way through a person's life when you do the same thing in your life over and over and over again and you don't understand why you keep doing the same stupid thing it's a scheme and schemes are made to be defeated they have to be defeated in our lives. My scheme, I told you yesterday, is abandonment. I had a father who never in my lifetime told me that he loved me. Never in my lifetime showed any emotion, any affection in any way, shape, and or form. The first time he told me that he loved me was on the day that he died. Let's hear it. I'm not sensing any sincerity. You're hurting me. This stuff goes on in families. In Orlando, because of Dismal World, I mean Disney World, Mickey Mouse used to go to our church. Mickey got saved. There's 180 Mickeys. <laughs> we deal with a lot of people struggling with their gender. And this girl came into my office, said her name was Billy. 
And digging into her schemes, what we found out was her father wanted a boy and had a girl. So he raised her as a boy, even gave her the name Billy. And so she fell into the gay lifestyle. I want to say this to you. Really hear this. Please hear this. If you struggle with a homosexual thought, it doesn't mean you're gay. It means you were tempted. Please hear that. And so we began to minister to her, and she had to really forgive her dad and work through all of this stuff. And one day I said, your name's not really Billy. What is it? She smiled and said, well, my name's really Janine. And God transformed her from this hard person to a beautiful woman. And then she had to move away, and, and I hadn't seen her. And two years later, she showed up on a Sunday morning, walked in the back door of the church on her honeymoon. I sat on the front row and just wept. I couldn't preach that day. I invested two years in Billy. <laughs> two years. People need help. People matter to God. And we need to get cleaned up enough that we can help them. We spend our lives ministering to people, caring for people. So these schemes, 2 Corinthians 2.11, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we're not unaware of his schemes. I hate being outwitted. I love playing chess. I played chess in a club in high school. And I love playing chess. And I love thinking moves ahead. And I hate it when I get outwitted. We're getting outwitted daily. Falling for the same stuff over and over again. You know the scripture says to renew your mind, but you don't do it. And then you wonder why you struggle. Come on, isn't it the truth? How do you defeat a scheme? You've got to expose it. Ephesians 5.11, don't participate. Somebody say, don't participate. What does that really mean? Stop it. Look at the guy next to you. Tell him to stop it. Say it like you mean it. Don't participate in, in fruitful deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them. Now, I really want you to hear this. You can deal with things privately or God will deal with them publicly. A man came in my office one day. A former pastor, I hadn't seen him in a long time. And the way God speaks to me is through pictures. I see pictures. And I looked at him, and on, the, on his forehead was the word adultery. And I looked at him and said, David, what have you done? And he got really angry at me. He stormed out of my office. I'd have told you he was one of my best friends when I was 17, 18 years old. And over the years... He never repented. I said, Lord, what am I to do? The very next day, the Lord spoke to me and said, go to a restaurant on the other side of the city. It's 45 minutes away. Be there at 1145 and sit in the parking lot and watch. He goes walking in the restaurant. Pretty soon, a girl I knew from high school went walking in after him. And they're sitting in the back of the restaurant making out. And it was not his wife. I walked in and sat down and said, Hi. You can deal with it privately or God will expose it publicly. But it's going to get exposed. Leaving things in darkness empowers the enemy. The word occult literally means hidden in darkness. You empower the enemy. 
So this went on. I bet he had 15 or 20 different affairs, all these different things. His precious wife ended up having to divorce him, and I had to tell the children and all that we went through. In the book out there, if you ever deal with women who have gone through abuse, her stories in the, the last chapter of that book about being restored. She used to be a pastor's wife, and he did all these crazy things. Today, she's a pastor's wife in Indianapolis, completely, totally restored and in the kingdom of God. So God restores. Luke 14 says that when the devil had finished tempting Jesus in every way, he departed from him for a more opportune time. Now, I want you to think about it. When the devil had <laughs> tempted Jesus in every way, I think that means everything that you've ever dealt with. And yet he didn't sin. And it says that the devil didn't give up. He said he's going to come back at a more opportune time. The wording there literally means an evil solicitation of your mind. And the enemy solicits your mind with these little thoughts and see if he can get you to chase them. I think God must love them more than he does, does me because look how their life is blessed. And I'm just struggling some more. I wonder what I've done wrong. I'll tell you what you've done wrong. You believe the lie. God doesn't show partiality. Whenever you question the love of God for you, I really want you to hear this. God's love for you was settled at the cross, period. And you can't allow the enemy to put this stuff on you that God has favorites. Ephesians 2.10, For we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in those things. So there's things that God's prepared for us to do with our lives. And I want to tell you, for every legitimate thing that God has for you, the enemy has an illegitimate counterfeit thing. Why is it so many gifted and talented worship people fall away into secular music? Because the gifting and the anointing really was there, wasn't it? So legitimate things become illegitimate things. I want you to think about some of the people you know about in the scripture. I just want to call off some schemes to you that I've dealt with with people that I see a lot. Hopelessness. There was a man in our church. His name was James. His father was such a perfectionist that when he was a young man, he'd mow the yard and his dad would go out with a tape measure and measure to see if the lines were straight across the yard. He grew up believing that he would never be good enough and lived a performance-oriented life and totally exhausted himself. Performance orientation will kill you. You live by the grace of God and the strength of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to perform. You're completely accepted in the Beloved. Abandonment, worthlessness. The scripture says, don't ever say to the person the word raka, which means worthlessness. Why? Because people were created in the image of God. Who are you to declare that someone has no value that God created? Every person has worth and has value. Another scheme. We say we minister to people from the womb to the tomb. A lady came in and she had a four-year-old and this child had more fear than anybody had ever known in my entire life. This child would scream with fear, trauma and fear. And we're trying to figure out where it came from. And we found out that before she came to know the Lord, that she had had eight abortions. 
And the Lord spoke to me and said, her, her womb was like a Nazi death chamber. And that spirit of fear was in that womb, that child. This stuff is serious. Schemes are serious. I understand my scheme. Doesn't mean I always win the battle. Sometimes I do stupid things to it. I understand my wife's scheme perfectly. And conflict happens in our marriage where our schemes cross. My scheme is abandonment. Her scheme is rejection. So when we have a fight, which she's always wrong, but when we have a fight <laughs> and we have a fight, guess what happens? She walks away, pulls away from me, and I feel abandoned. And so what do I do to her? How does that help? It takes her sometimes days to repent. Ladies, don't look at me. It started in the garden with you guys. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> you leave my wife out of this, all right? <laughs> Rick's going to call my wife. Now listen, what do you think the scheme was against Jesus? You think the enemy had any plans to stop Jesus? What do you think the scheme was? Jesus got baptized. The Holy Spirit came upon him, right? And the Father said, this is my, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And the enemy said three times, if you're the Son of God. If he could get him to doubt his sonship, he would still have his place of authority and place to stand. So God, knowing the scheme in advance, prepared his Son for the scheme. The Holy Spirit can prepare you to deal with the issues in your life, if you will, but get educated about it, pray through it, get some help when you need it, and deal with it. Stop being outwitted. So we find illegitimacy in so many people's lives. So many children are illegitimate. And I don't mean that means that they were born with a single parent. They're emotionally illegitimate because they have parents that don't show them love. And they grow up with a question mark on the inside of them. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? So we could spend eight hours talking about schemes. Give you thousands of illustrations. But I want to encourage you. If you think there's something working in your life, grab the book out there. The only, the only subject in the book is schemes. If we run out of books, it's on Amazon. I've always wanted to say, I'm on Amazon. <laughs> Ron's going to be on Amazon as soon as he starts writing his book. Amen. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> um, I don't remember. Yes, I think so. Dr. Rick is going to come and tell you how to tear down schemes. Yeah. How y'all doing? Y'all doing good? We don't say all oh, y'all in Pittsburgh. We say yuns. I, um, 15 years ago, um, we were going through a really rough time at our church. 60% um, of the people left the church. Um, best friends walked out on us. 
uh, there was a big conflict with myself and another leader, and uh, all of our apostolic accountability team was there, and they, um, they told this man in our church that he needed to get help, and he needed to get somebody to help him, and he, uh, he just said, no, I don't need help, and he got up and left, and I said, see what I've been dealing with? And then they all just sat there for a while and looked at me. And they said, you need help. <laughs> and I said, no, he just left. I don't need no help. He, he left. And um, they said, no, you, you need, you, you got to get help. And we're telling you, you got to get some counseling in your life. You got to get free. And I'll be honest, I sat there for a minute and I thought of every reason why I didn't need help. And I had some pretty good reasons. But thank God, humility came on my life. And I just stopped and I said, whatever you tell me to do, the answer is yes. And it was only about a couple weeks later that I was with Pastor Joe. And we, we were friends and then just a couple years went by and didn't really see each other and hang out. And I got introduced to everything you, you, just, you just heard. And it, it rocked my world. It changed my life. So I'm not here. Like, I'm just, I just want to say everything you just said, man, is just so true. Uh, a year after that, after we, we got help and I got some straightened out in my life, it was a year later. Things still weren't good in, in my marriage. And it was on Christmas Eve. And see, I never forget this. It was on Christmas Eve. It was, it was just early afternoon. My parents were coming at one for big Christmas dinner. All our kids were there. And uh, five kids, and they're all waiting for Christmas. And my wife told me she wanted a divorce. That'll mess up your Christmas. And um, I says, wow, that's something we said would never do. But she said, yeah, I, wanna, I want out. She says, I want out. I'm done. And I'm like, oh, Wow. Well, somehow we got through Christmas and actually didn't speak to each other the whole time. Didn't talk, didn't speak, just kind of just existed. January 1, January 2, January 3, it was like, she's like, I'm done. I came to a conclusion in my life. I couldn't keep pastoring, so I started looking for a job and privately because nobody knew what was going on. And so I just started pursuing other things. I says, I got to get out. I can't keep doing this. And it was about a weekend of January. I went to my wife one night and I said, babe, I said, listen, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend the rest of my life convincing you that I love you. And no matter what you do, no matter where you live, wherever you go, that's what I'm going to do. And I expected a good response. And she went, huh, and walked away. She is Italian. It's, that's a whole different scheme. I mean, that's all like a, yeah, it's a garlic and oregano scheme. Come on, I'm telling you. It's like, well, um, weeks went on, and, and I told God, okay, God, by the end of January, something got to give. 
something got to happen in our life before the end of January. And um, Joe was coming into town. And uh, he met with my wife and I and walked us both through all this. And it, it, it saved not just a marriage, it saved our whole family. It saved a church. And we have all this stuff going on in our life. But we got to admit it. we got to see it. And, and all I want to do is just help you see it right now. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, the Apostle Paul's writing. And by the way, th- thanks for letting me come. I just, I'm just so honored. <laughs> I'm so honored. I just can't believe I get to be here. It's like, ha, ah, you know, thank you. And, and uh 2 Corinthians 10. I'm just going to dive right in. Y'all good? I'm just going to tell you how screwed up I am, and you're going to feel really good about yourself. (laughs) You're going to say, well, I don't need prayer now. I used to need prayer. I I mean, wow, I'm good. You're good. I'm good. Let's eat soup. Come on, man. Like. Okay, Apostle Paul, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Here we go. Let's just break this down. Let's just look at a few things here really, really quick, okay? Um, verse 4, pulling down. That means there needs to be destruction, demolition. We need to make him extinct. You got that? Stronghold, strongholds, a castle, a fortress. That's what it is. It's to have and to hold safely. It's the same word for prison. Basically, the stronghold in a castle was the tall place in the middle of the castle. When the castle was being attacked, the king would go into the stronghold because it was the safest place from attack. Okay? So the king would go in there, they would secure him in. And he would be in that stronghold. Okay, it's a safe place. It's a fortified place. Let's go on to verse 5. I'm going quickly. Take pictures. If you get a picture, get me in it. Come on, somebody. Then here we go. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Verse 5. Demolishing, pulling down speculations, arguments, considerations, preceding action, where human reasoning is found. Every high thing is a barrier. Knowledge is to know experientially. Now, I'm going to spend the rest of my time trying to show you how this works in our life. How many of you realize it's not truth doesn't affect us. What we believe happened to us affects us. See, what you believe happened to you is what affects you, okay? I mean, I I have people tell me all the time, Pastor, you did this to me. And I'm like, I didn't do that at all. But they perceive, so perceptions create reality, right? And that happens in all of our lives, okay? Joe gave you a list of a whole bunch of strongholds there. And, um, man, you got a lot of wires over here. Glory. Okay, this is my life. 
I grew up in Pittsburgh, literally where the sun never does shine. I did just hear a stat yesterday. We used to have the second most cloudy, rainy days in the United States. We're up to number four now. We have 202 cloudy, rainy days a year. Orlando, I don't know. I ain't even looking. So you grow, up in, you grow up in an area, and you have what you call prevailing issues. You have the thought process of, that, of that, um, that city or that region. Pittsburgh's a blue-collar town. Pittsburgh's a blue-collar town. Yeah, bring, bring some over. This will be fun. Thank you. Just pile them all up right there. Perfect. Now listen. Hurts and problems come in all different shapes and sizes. Pittsburgh, the prevailing thing in my life, is a blue-collar town. It's a work-hard town. So what do you got to do? You got to work hard. Two right there. I grew up Catholic. Well, there's a big one. You got to work hard when you're a Catholic. You got to earn it. Come on. Am I right? Come on. When I got saved, I offered my life to God. I didn't know if he took me or not. It took me a couple months for somebody to convince me, yeah, if you gave your life to God, he really took you. I go, well, how do you know? I didn't do enough good things yet, right? Pittsburgh, blue collar, Catholic. You, you with me? Okay. I have three older brothers. Larry, Jerry, and Gary. I'm not making this up. My oldest brother was most studious. He reads the dictionary for fun. Next brother was like Mr. Fix-It, like 6'1", dark hair, real quiet, real confident, could fix anything. My next brother, Gary, he was voted most friendly, could get along with anybody. He's just so friendly. He's always just smiling. You think guys smile a lot. He smiles more. So I, I couldn't compete with those guys. I couldn't compete with them. Like they were just so much like, like, like how, do you, how do you go through school like that? Why can't you be like your brother? Come on. So in high school, I just didn't. I never, I read one book in school, and it was in the eighth grade. That's the last book I read. I literally, I graduated high school, I could, I could barely read. Because why bother trying? I'm not going to try. I, why, why compete? I didn't measure up. And then, when I finally got out of high school, I went to nursing school, 
And every instructor that had the opportunity told me I was going to fail and never make it. Literally. I mean, I literally had, and then I went to, I went to uh, another school. See, see, all these hurts are different shapes and sizes, but they all start getting in the way. I had a nun look at me across, across the desk one day. She looked at my work, which was horrible. She said, you're never going to make it. I'm going to fail you. And I leaned across her desk, and I said, I'm going to pass this course if it kills me. I know what she was thinking. It just might. And if the course don't kill you, I will. So I finally graduate nursing school, and I try, and I get going to a good church, but I'm trying to earn everybody's love. I get involved in a church that's, you know, somewhat, you know, it's in the, in, in the 80s. I'm, I'm a lot of works orientation, a lot of that going on. Top off that, one of my best friends, that my predecessor, you know, at the church and all, he, he dies in his mid-40s suddenly, and I got to take over. What you have in front of you is a bona fide stronghold. We all have different situations, hurts, problems, situations in our life that happens in our life. So what happens in most of our lives, we come to church and we put the happy face on. How you doing? Good. You know what good means? That just means you didn't have a fight and you didn't flip anybody off on the way to church. That's all that means. You made it from home to church. That's all you did. You good? But the problem is as soon as something hits, you come out and you're like, you're, you're exposed, you're vulnerable, but then you see something, I don't measure up. I'll never measure up. Insecurity takes over, so I run back here, and I hide. And what happens is, is all of these situations in my life become higher than the knowledge of Christ. That's what those verses were, okay? So what happens, there's a barrier in a safe place, so I come out here, I get hurt, Something happens, I run back to my fortress in my mindset because I'm safe here, because I never measure up here, and everything I view is from here. This is how many people, they get hurt in their life, they grow up with prejudice, they grow up with maybe hurts in their life, and they grow up with every you know, all men are pigs. All women are this. All black people are this. All white people are that. All teachers are like this. This is what happens right here. You get a mindset that won't quit. And so you come out and you try and you try harder. I'm going I'm to read my Bible. I'm going to be accepted. Jesus, accept me. And we howl at the moon. <laughs> But the, the next opportunity we get, we run back here. 
I know, I know you think I don't measure up. I know it. Come on. Don't you love when somebody comes to you and they say, I know what you're thinking. You're mad at me. I'm not mad at you. Yes, you are. I'm about to be mad at you. That's what I'm just thinking. I'm about to be. Why? Because that's that familiar spirit. You give off that spirit. You know, when you give off rejection, people reject you. There's people, literally, in my life that they have had so much rejection in their life. You find yourself wanting to reject them, and you don't even know how. You, like, start rejecting them, and you're like, where did that come from? It's a rejection spirit. You start doing it. It happens. So this is the mindset that happens in our life. So this is what happens when you go to an encounter weekend or you go to get personal ministry time, which, which Pastor Joe walked my wife and myself through, and we identified insecurity in my life, illegitimacy, same deal. Dad never said, Dad told me he loved me twice. Okay, worked real hard, always trying to earn it, the whole deal. Lots of promises, never met, the whole deal. You good? So what happens is, is we say, you know what? I am a child of God. I belong to God. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. The word of God. Come on. The word of God. The blood of Jesus. The name of Jesus. And so what happens in our lives, we look at this. And what we do is we say, you know what? Enough is enough. The word of God has set me free. So we go. And for the first time in our life, we're like, freedom. And for the first time in our life, we're free. That's why when you come back from an encounter weekend or a victory and freedom personal ministry time, you feel so free. Right? Come on. That you get home, it's like, oh, nothing's going to bother me. Come on, the kids, are, you're crawling on your leg. You're tired. You haven't slept in two weeks, but they're crawling. Oh, baby, I love you. It's all good. Come on. Right? Come on. You go to work on Monday, and your, your boss, they look nice. You like them. Right? It's because you're free. You don't have a separation that's higher than the knowledge of Christ, a barrier. Because this is keeping you from experiencing God, so you're free. So this is what happens. We get free. We say, okay, God, I'm not going to. Rejection, abandonment, hopelessness, pride. What's that? Despair. You name it. Okay? So the problem is, is we've got all these hurts here. So we go along our way, and we start, we start, we start living. So what happens is every situation in our life, that you have another opportunity to act out in hopelessness, despair, whatever it is, what happens is you begin to pick it up. And you have to decide, are you going to go back and put it there? Or are you going to take it to the cross? How do you remove a stronghold? By the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus. Come on, the word of God. That's how it happens. But then you got to replace it with who you are. Because this is attacking who I am in Christ. So i got to decide, do I put it back on the wall? Or say no. 
not going to do it. No, God did not create me like this. God created me to be a child of God. God created me with a future and a hope. And I don't have to work for his love anymore. He loves me no matter what. Come on. And so every situation comes up. In every situation we say, no, I'm not going to do that. But the problem is, is every now and then we get something big happen to us. And we say, nobody's looking. I don't need a small group. I don't need CR tonight. I'm starting to feel safe again. Life is returning good again. Do you know my wife used to pick fights with me? She'd pick fights with me until I got upset because that reminded her of her family and her father. In the moment I would get upset and get mad and yell, she got really nice. I told her, you're sick. I said, if you would like it, I'll just come home every day and scream at you. Would that make you feel good? She says, well, not really, you know, but it, it would. And so what happens is that every time we have to make an, oh, two opportunities, and now they, it starts to get built again. And then we start looking at some of these, and we say, <laughs> my precious, <laughs> my precious. <laughs> and the pastor and smoker player try to take it off. He says, no, give me that. <laughs> give me that. <laughs> because we treat our hurts and our hang-ups and our problems and our, all of our offenses as our precious. But we got to decide, no more. So what happens is we got to decide, do I put it here or do I get rid of it? The problem is, is most people, freedom is yours by the word of God, by the name of Jesus, by the blood of God, by who you are in Christ Jesus. But you got to decide every brick and every circumstance once you get freedom to throw it aside and not begin to build it back up. You good? Okay, this is what happens. A young girl, dad leaves. Mom's working. Grandpa doesn't take care of her. Uncle touches her inappropriately. So she starts going looking for love. Finds a boyfriend. He takes advantage of her. Well, then she needs more attention and so in school, she gets a bad reputation, and then what happens is she she just realizes all she's good for is one thing, and she's not achieving, and all these little offenses, and everybody calls her names. Everybody says she's really horrible words, and she can't go to school. You have a bona fide stronghold. Ring true? Come on, ring true? This is how they get built. And they separate you from experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. 
But we got to decide not only that, no, in the name of Jesus, for that young girl, I am a daughter of the Most High God, and he created me and loved me, and I have a future, and I have a hope, and I'm not all those things that have been said about me. I'm not that girl, so in the name of Jesus, no. No. Not going to live that way because I want to live free. The same thing, ladies. You've got to decide you're going to pick it up and put it back on or you're going to get free. This is how it happens in my life. And the more that I take these boxes and discard them, because even after all 15 years of walking through this, there's still times in my life where I want to pick up things that aren't mine and I need to just lay them down. Five kids grew up in the church. Listen, they all have had hurts. My wife and I know, look, looking back, they're on their 20s now. There's a lot of, lot of things that we did wrong, even in a godly home. And my wife and I look at each other and say, this is why we have encounter weekends. So just because you grow up in a good church and you grow up doesn't mean you don't have issues. I gave all my kids the right to blame me for all their problems until they're 21. I said, you know, you're 21. I am, I am your problem. I'm complete, I did everything wrong. I will repent, and I have. I've written it. I wrote it. I've verbalized it. I've done everything I can. But at 21, you're going to have to own it. You can't be carrying around my pro, like all the stuff I did anymore. My oldest daughter, I remember when, when our, our middle daughter, she, she, got, she was just turning 21, and she was going at me one night. My older daughter, she's a couple years older than that. She goes, hey, you got till 21. I said, tell her. Tell her right now. Tell her that one. Tell her. She got, you got a couple months, girl. That's what I'm telling you. You got a couple months. I can be your problem. And then you got to just move on. You got you to own it. Did anything we say tonight ring home? Did it? Now, we can't, what, what we just communicated in the last, like, 50-some minutes I mean, it took Joe like 50 years to get it. I'm glad he wrote the book. I love the book. And you need to get one. And you need to go through it. And don't just read it casually. Study it. But we can, we can put a dent in some strongholds tonight. We can. We can put a dent in it. And that's what we're going to do.